The reading this morning is from the first book of Samuel. It's chapter 1, verses 2 to 11, and you can find this on page 271 of the Church Bibles. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. This is the word of the Lord. When was the last time you cried? I mean, really cried. I don't mean just the tears that come from watching uh, Disney or Charlton Athletic play. (laughs) No, I, I really do mean, when was the last time you really wept? Tears that come from deep within. The cry of pain. When was the the last time. For some it will be, I'm sure, the loss of a loved one. For others it will be because of a broken relationship. It might be because of the events of the world around you, the plight of the oppressed. There's lots, isn't there, in this world to cry about. And yet, of course, there are moments of great joy. Some of us don't like crying, we see it as weak or embarrassing. We, we try to ignore all the bad stuff around us. But the Bible won't let us ignore it. The Bible deals with real situations, with real people, with real feelings. It wants us to face up to our tears, not to somehow sweep them under the carpet. And today we begin 1 Samuel. And it's a book that begins with a woman called Hannah who is in tears. She can't have children. 
It might seem to us like a strange place to begin a book that's actually about the search for a leader for Israel. Why start here? Well, this is a real-life story of the childless woman, and that woman symbolizes the state of Israel at the time. It was an utterly helpless and time of despair for the nation. It has started so well. If we go back to the beginning, God had made a perfect world, but humans had turned against God. And although he could have stopped right there, because he loved his world that he created, he didn't. And so he promised to a man named Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation and would be a blessing to other nations, that things would be put right. And he started well. The nation multiplied. He gave them the promised land. But they kept turning away. And so after a very exciting book of Joshua, we get the anticlimax of the judges, where everything seems to spiral out of control. And towards the end of Judges, you will find the repeated phrase, in those days there was no king... And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was chaos. And the purpose of 1 Samuel is to, is to prepare the way for that king, for a king. But it starts with a woman here in tears, a barren woman. How could a barren woman contribute to the nation and the promise? In Hannah's tears we see the plight of our own world. There may be misery, there may be despair in our lives, in our world. And yet, notice this section, actually, that goes right through to chapter 2, verse 11, ends with a note of rejoicing. So in our tears, if you're crying, remember that it ends with hope. For what happens to Hannah, you see, is a picture of Israel. Their despair turning to rejoicing in a king. And it's a picture of what God will do beyond David, of what God would do through his great king, uh, his, David's greater son, a son that would come and put things right and sort out the mess and end the tears. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that however we're feeling, we pray that we will hear the hope despite the tears. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You might like to keep your Bibles open at page 271, and we'll begin at verse 1. There was a certain man from Marathaeum. Now, that doesn't sound like the most exciting start, does it, to a, a, new, a new book? An ordinary man from an ordinary place. And yet God uses ordinary people uh, and places. Verse 2, it says he had two wives. Now that is surprising, isn't it? 
Because that's against God's clear pattern for marriage in Genesis 2, of a lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. You spend any time reading the, New Test- the Old Testament, you will find polygamy. The Bible doesn't break off to make a big point about this being wrong here at this moment. This is not his purpose. This is not the purpose. But as you watch the story unfold, what you will see is the mess caused by departing from God's pattern for marriage. Verse 3 tells us that the story begins in Shiloh, where Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle was at this moment. It was the great big tent that symbolized God's presence with his people as they journeyed from the wilderness to the promised land. And Shiloh became the central place of worship. Verse 3, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship. He took his whole family with him and made sacrifices and feasted, a great celebration, a great meal, and everyone was there, everyone was there, Elkanah, Hannah, and Penah. Verse 4, and all her sons and daughters. And can you imagine what it must have been like as Peninnah gloated over Hannah? Can you imagine what it had been like year after year? Now, do all your children have your food? Dear me, there's so many of you, it's hard to keep track Mummy, Hannah doesn't have any children. Why doesn't Hannah have any children? Hannah, oh, oh yes, that's, that's right. She, she doesn't have any children. Doesn't she want children, Mummy? Oh, yes, she wants children very, very much. Wouldn't you say so, Hannah? Don't you wish you had children too? Mummy, doesn't, doesn't Daddy want Hannah to have children? Oh, certainly, but... Hannah keeps disappointing him. She just can't contribute to Israel. Why not, mummy? Why? Because God won't let her. Does God not like Hannah, mummy? Well, I I don't know. What what do you think? Oh, by the way, Hannah, did I not tell you I'm expecting again? Do you think you'll ever be pregnant? Year after year, this went on. And Hannah was provoked until she wept. She wept bitterly and would not eat. And Elkanah, it has to be said, like most men, tries to be helpful. In verse 8, why don't you eat something? After all, you have me. And somehow it just seems to make things worse. I don't know about you, but special family meals, they can be great fun, can't they? But when we're faced with personal struggles, they really can be difficult places. You're grieving, and it's all too obvious that there's, a, there's an empty chair there. You're single, and you don't want to be. And somebody keeps saying, anyone special in your life, Jane? Or you're childless. And all you see when you, when you come to church is the mountain of babies with parents fussing over them. It can really hurt these things. They can be really painful year after year. 
What pain there must have been here for Hannah. So she left the table and she headed for Shiloh. She headed for the Lord. Verse 10, look at it. It says, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. It can be difficult to know at times what to do with our our painful um, feelings and experiences. When someone turns to you and says, you know, how are you? You know that question where we all just simply say, I'm fine. But inside, we're burning up. And you don't want to burden anyone or put a dampener on the mood. You think to yourself, I don't want to embarrass them. Uh, My tears might upset their tears. I don't want to cause a fuss. Come on. St. John's, let's not be that kind of church. Let us not kind of default to some sort of middle-class veneer of respectability. Yes, of course, there are appropriateness to when and to how and to who you might share. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if we couldn't tell brothers and sisters how we really feel? I hope every small group in this church is a place where we can say, you know, I'm struggling. I'm sad today. Even when we've done that, we must remember here, the first place, as Hannah did, is to turn to Lord. The Lord who knows us, who's made us, the one who knows us better than ourselves. The one who can handle embarrassment. The one who is unshockable. The one who will listen to you endlessly and never tire. And Hannah prayed. In verse 11 it says, And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Hannah's prayer is a, is a prayer of dedication, isn't it? Any son was born to be the Lord's forever. That's actually a prayer that every Christian parent should pray. He's yours, Lord. She is yours, Lord. The great longing isn't that they'll get into this or that school that they'll be great at sport or music, or they'll, they'll settle down, move to Kent, have kids and a dog. No. The prayer is that he or she will know and love the Lord God forever. That should be our prayer. That should be the thing above all that we want for our children. To be a a priest then meant you had to be from a a certain tribe called the the tribe of Levi. Others could become a a sort of lay priest. They were known as, as Nazarites. You can read about them in Numbers. And they had to make certain vows, uh, no alcohol, no shaving of um, the head. That's the reference to shaving here. And what, uh, and that's what uh, Hannah prayed here. 
Eli, the chief priest, hears uh, what's going on and thinks that she's been drinking. And then, of course, he he realized that she is sincere and says in verse 17, those three words, go in peace. Go in peace. Those words must have given her great comfort. And it's important to notice at this stage, she doesn't know that her prayer is actually going to be answered with a son. She doesn't know that. But she goes in peace. She does what the Lord's servant Eli tells her. She gets up, verse 18, and went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. You see what she had done? She'd handed over her distress and her despair to the Lord. She handed it over and left it there. She trusts him. And sometimes, I think, in our distress, we would do anything rather than turn to the Lord. Sometimes we hear the peace of the Lord, go in peace, and instead of receiving it and going out in its power, we we somehow seem to wallow in our distress and engage in perhaps other forms of comfort that are actually very destructive. So this messy family went home, and verse 19 tells us that the Lord remembered. Isn't that wonderful? Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Samuel. She's longed for a child, and now she's giving him away. At a very young age, only at weaning. She fulfilled her vow and gave him away, presented him before the Lord. Verse 27, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He shall be given over to the Lord. And so chapter 2 begins with a prayer. But what a different prayer this is from the, Hannah's previous prayer. As Hannah is now, is reflect, she's not in the moment of what's happening. She's now reflecting back on what the Lord has done. And I just as we end, want us to notice two things. The first thing is that God is in control of things. God is in control of things. Verse 1, my heart rejoices in the Lord. It could have been easy to forget God and delight in just the child's and being born. I mean, I think that's sometimes a challenge, isn't it, for all of us? When we get, when will we get round to thanking God for the birth of a child or for the, uh, for the long-awaited um, promotion or a new house or whatever? When will we get round to rejoicing and thanking God? Because so often we forget to do it. <clears throat> and Hannah continues, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Seems like unusual, doesn't it, at this stage? She's talking about enemies and deliverance. These don't sound like the words of a a mother. These seem like more words of of victory. And, And again, what we need to see here is that Hannah's story is pointing us to a greater story. This is really very important for us. Hannah is going beyond her personal experiences and circumstances. And in this child that she's received, she sees the hope for the nation. Many faithful Israelites knew things were in a mess at this particular moment. They were surrounded by enemies, the Philistines. And Hannah comes along and says, hey, look, 
Look, look at how God has shown me kindness, that he's in control. God is with us. His enemies are no match um, for him. Verse 8, look at verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. The foundations of the earth are the Lord. He is in control. And it's the same today as it was then. Hey, look. Look. He knows the battles that you face right now. He knows your inner struggles, the temptations, the fears, the worries, the anxieties. And he watches over you. He has the foundations of the world in his hands. And for some of us, we may feel that we're in despair and out of control, that things are out of control. We don't know how we're going to manage. We're just perhaps holding on by our fingertips. And Hannah's song should come to us and give us hope. He knows. He cares. He is in control. It may not seem like that to you now, but he is. We look out on our land, don't we? We see Christianity seemingly ebbing away. It looks like the gospel is in retreat. We may be tempted to despair. And Hannah's story says, no, God can do it. He gave me a baby. Look, he gave me a baby. God can bring new life into this world that's turned away from him. Just think of Jesus. In his death, we see the horror of despair, of the pain of human hopelessness, and yet God raised into life. Hallelujah. God is in control. Don't lose hope. Don't lose despair. And secondly, remember that God is going to put things right. God is going to put things right. As Hannah reflects on her story, she realises that it's just like God to put things right, to sort stuff out. What he's done for me, he's going to do on a grander scale. We know the world isn't as it should be because of sin. And Hannah says, look, it won't go on forever. God will make things right. He will bring judgment. Verse 19, have a look at it. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. How? Look with me at the final verse. Verse 11. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed one. There it is. That's the theme of the the rest of the book. How's God going to do for Israel what he did for Hannah? He's going to provide a king. Samuel was the last judge and or ruler of the old order of things. And as the last judge, he becomes the king maker. He's the one who anoints first Saul and then great King David. And under David, we know the nation was restored, God judged his enemies, and he raised his people up again. After King David and his son Solomon 
things spiraled again out of control. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the prophets came along and they looked back and they said, David was a, was a model. Another king is coming, a greater king than David. David's greater son. And of course, as you turn to the New Testament, we find, don't we, what do we find at the start of the New Testament? Go and look at Luke. We find another childless woman named Elizabeth, who in no doubt wept. We find her husband, Zachariah, and he was told that Elizabeth was going to have a son. She gave birth, of course, to John, John the Baptist. And just as Samuel was to anoint God's chosen king, David, so John was to prepare the way for King Jesus, the Christ, the anointed. And so Elizabeth visited Mary, who was to have a son, God's son. And she too sang a song, a song of joy. We call it the Magnificat. It echoes Hannah's song here in 1 Samuel 2, which speaks of Lord being in control and of coming to put things right. Do you cry? Maybe maybe some of us should weep more than we do. Maybe we should weep over our sin for doing things our own way without God. Maybe we should cry more over the world and the the mess that we see around us. Well, listen to the good news of Hannah. Listen to the good news of Jesus, that God's son, the true king, came into the world of despair. He took upon himself our sin, the judgment that we deserved, and he was raised to new life. He died. He rose. And he's coming again. The Lord never promises to give us what we want or the things that we long for. He never promises those things. Tears may continue. Tears will continue. But in the midst of tears, do not despair. There is joy. The king has come. Hallelujah. And the king will come back and he will wipe away all tears. There will be no more sadness for he will come and he will put everything right. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the story of Hannah. We thank you that you remembered her. You remembered her tears. We thank you that her story is a picture of Israel's story. It's a picture of our own story. And we thank you that it all points to King David's greater son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is in control. He is the one who came to put things right through his death and resurrection. And however we feel this morning, 
whether we're in despair, whether we're in tears, whether we're full of joy, we pray that we'll come to King Jesus, the Anointed One, who is Lord over all. We pray that we'll come with him, to him with thankful hearts for all that he has done. For we ask in his name. Amen.